All right, here we go. We're back in the saddle. This is the Prime to Rise podcast. What are we here to do? We're here to prime you to bring value to your life. We want to prime you to rise in your career. We want to prime you to rise to a better lifestyle. We want to prime you to rise to a peak mentality in your life. Now, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to go to our website. You're going to check out that student loan and budget calculator. Uh, We have added a lot of information to it. We're going to continue to do so. In the future, additional tools that are going to be up on there will be things like submittal logs, standard schedule templates, uh, pricing template, physical tools that you can download for free that'll help you be successful day-to-day in your career. Now, of course, we're putting out a bunch of content right now. The engagement is out of control. I really appreciate it. I've taken a step back. I want to take a deep breath. Over the last two weeks, I've really been going through all of the feedback, both on my DMs and in the comments. And I want to make sure that I am addressing whatever is on people's minds because I want to bring value to people. I want to know, I want to know what you want to know, right? So if you have anything that you want to see an episode on or that you might disagree with, or you have something that can combat anything that I'm saying, please throw it in the comments, throw it in my DMs. I'd be happy to address it. Um, I'd be happy to address it on this podcast. Okay. Now, one of the things that is a very common conception of the construction industry is that we can't make a schedule and that we cannot uh, stick to a budget, right? The common term that people like to use is that people get pregnant. What do I mean by that? That means that you make a decision, you sign up with somebody, um, you are committed to them on a price and a schedule. And then the second that commitment is executed or that contract is signed, the change orders come in, the price grows. You get bad news after bad news. They can't keep the schedule. And there are actually some statistics that I can walk through here and show everybody um, to uh, basically give credence or to give credibility to the feeling that the general public has, okay? So when you talk about any kind of a product or service that you're trying to sell somebody, there are three elements to that, right? There's quality, there's time, and there's budget. You have to give two out of the three in order to make a client happy, right? So if you give it cheap, then you can have it fast, but it's not really going to be high quality. If you want a high quality and you want it fast, you're going to pay for it. If you want, uh, if you want a quality and you want it cheap, you're going to take a, you're going to wait a long time to get that product or that service, right? So we're not going to address quality here. Quality is very clear in construction. We can all see it, taste it, feel it, right? Uh, that one is a little self-explanatory for right now. Uh, and we're not going to talk about cost here. Cost is going to have its own its own episode, right? What we're going to talk about here is schedule because again, I was able to pull some statistics across the industry uh, to show how often people are or how often projects run over schedule. Now, on top of that, where the real value of this episode is going to come in is where I tell you my top seven reasons why that happens. So why do so many projects run over schedule? And what are my top seven reasons that I see over a 20 year career that bring people to overshoot their schedule? We'll see by 10, 20% or even more, right? So statistics, according to Dodge, and I'm not talking about the truck company, I'm talking about the construction industry company, right? They're a publication that, that sends out market updates and all of these different types of statistics that they're able to compile. According to Dodge, 
only 6% of projects, 6% of projects and ahead of schedule and 10% under budget. That means that you, if you are able to bring it in early and on budget, you are way over exceeding 95% or 94% of projects out there. Now, 61% of projects, according to Dodge, come in behind schedule and 49% of them over the budget, right? So 50, it's a 50-50 shot on staying within your budget and you are more than likely to have an overrun on your schedule. According to Zipia, 31% of projects finish within 10% of the budget. So that's close. A third of them are close to the budget, but that means that two thirds of the time you're way off. Now, according to Zipia, only 25% of projects finish within 10% of their original deadlines or their original project duration. So what does that mean? That means that 75% or three out of four projects finish way off their original project schedule, their original duration. Okay. Autodesk comes up with very similar statistics. According to Autodesk, it's 72% of projects miss the schedule. Large projects are over 20% over schedule and up to 80% over budget. That means that as far as the schedule goes, if you have a year long project, you're going to be off by two to three months. Okay. And if it's a really large project, it's probably two to three years. You're going to be off by six months, nine months, you know, and it's just going to grow from there. So those are some pretty alarming statistics. The fact that you have leaders in the industry, leading publications, leading technology companies telling you that as an industry, 75% of the time, our, our schedules are blown. That is an incredible stat. That is an, even in baseball, where you only have to succeed 30% of the time, if you get a 300 batting average to make, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, you, you, even in baseball with, a, with a low success threshold for recognition, we still wouldn't even be meeting those numbers. We are only hitting our schedules 25% of the time. If we're lucky, I think honestly, that's conservative because these stats even say that that's within 10% of the deadline. So this is even giving you the benefit of the doubt that you might miss it, but only by a little bit, right? Terrible numbers, absolutely terrible numbers. So why do, why do we as an industry miss our schedule duration 75% of the time? Reason one, permitting and inspections. What is it about permitting and inspections that people just can't seem to grasp and capture in their schedule? Number one, I don't even think they consider it. I think a lot of people just overlook it, assuming that they'll get the documents on time or they're so hyper-focused on the activity and getting uh, rubber on the road that they don't even think about getting the green light from the JHA or the local uh, jurisdiction holding authority, okay? Or AHJ authority holding jurisdiction, I'm sorry. And they're not the only one, you know, that we're talking about building departments is also the fire department, right? So what do we do? How do we manage that, right? For instance, to get a fire alarm permit in the city of Boston, it would take you two weeks to do a shop drawing, a week to submit it, get approval. Then you need six weeks to review it from the fire department. Then you need, what if there's a comment, right? So you're already at nine weeks. That That's the minimum, right? The, the absolute earliest that you're ever going to get a fire alarm permit would be in nine weeks. So if you have a project that is going to, that a client wants you to start now, 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 you need to consider that you can't get a fire alarm permit for nine weeks and you need to build that into your schedule. I would also recommend 
that you anticipate a rejection from the engineer or the architect or a rejection from the city or the fire department. I can't tell you how many times, I, I don't even know that I could give you an example of a project that I've worked on and I've touched hundreds where one of those two entities or both, especially the city or the fire department, just give you a permit without any comments. Typically, they're going to give it back. Then you're going to have to send it out. You're going to have to get the drawing fixed. And then you're going to have to get it back, then resubmit for approval. Then they review it. Then they come back. Okay. So that process is something that you need to lay out in your schedule. Okay. When you make a schedule on Microsoft Project or whatever you're using, even if you're doing it on a napkin, you should say shop jarring or whatever, uh, whatever document that need to get submitted. We need to compile those documents. Then you should say engineer and architect review. Then you should say um, addressing engineer and architect comments. Then you should say submit to the county or the fire department. Then it should say review time. Then it should say rejected by county or fire department. Then it should say address those comments. Then it should say uh, resubmit. And then you can get approval. I mean, if you do it more than two times and you throw that on a schedule, then in all likelihood, um, that schedule is probably not going to get accepted. But you should show people the worst case scenario so that you're managing their expectations on what could happen. Now, if they want to make the assumption that all that is going to go hunky-dory against your caution, then that is on them. At least you did your job and you communicate it to your client. Okay. You know, the, the other thing that, that people get hung up on, especially in big construction, people get used to working in one county, one municipality. If I learned one thing in my career of 20 years, you can't make any assumptions. And that includes where you're working, okay? If you're working in a big city for your entire career, you think everybody runs like New York City or everybody runs like Boston or everybody runs like LA. That's not true. When you go from town to town, not only are the rules different, the process is different, the people are different. There's a lot of unwritten rules out there in these municipalities, right, that you're going to deal with. So you need to make sure if you've never worked in there before, you don't know the players, you don't know the process, where you can confidently put that down on a piece of paper and present to somebody, you need to make sure that you get your butt in that office, in that fire department, in that building department, and you lay out there what you want to do. At the worst case scenario, you'll at least make them feel like they're a part of the project and you're not trying to slip anything by them. So there's a tremendous advantage to doing that. But again, number one reason, permitting and inspections constantly amiss on project schedules that I, that I view. And basically what I would equate that to is like you're, you're a horse inside the stable, just bucking ready to get out or like a bull um, and a bull riding competition, just ready to get out, but you're stuck in there and everybody's frustrated about it, right? Reason number two for projects coming in, um, coming in late, cash flow, cash is king, right? So many projects come in late because there's a holdup in cash. People don't want to show up to a job site if they can't pay their people, if they can't meet payroll, they're going to go where the cash goes especially today where there is a labor shortage, right? Wherever the easy money is, wherever the short money is, that's where people are going to go. The best productivity or the highest level of productivity that I've had on my job sites are when clients commit to a quick pay. So if you're a client or if you're a, uh, an owner's rep and you can afford to do this, whether it's having less red tape or just having liquid cash, liquid assets available to you to get out to people, Committing to a uh, one-week or two-week uh, payment terms 
is the best way to get the highest level of attention from all of your contractors and your subcontractors on your job. But I'm not talking about the client. I'm talking about uh, GCs and subcontractors, why they are holding up projects. So the low-hanging fruit with invoicing is the inability to submit an invoice meeting all of the requirements, right? So the number one thing is that you have to be aware of your contract type. Do you have a GMP? Do you have a lump sum? Does your invoice require backup and signatures from vendors? Does your invoice require uh, waivers and notar uh, notarized documents? If you require those things, don't even submit it without them. I can't tell you how much time I have wasted reviewing subcontractors' invoices and going back to them for notarizations and formal signatures and literally just completing their paperwork for a formal invoice to get into a client. And they kick and they scream and they don't understand why. And then cash flow is choked out. And then they complain that, you know, we're treating them poorly because I can't get them paid. And it's like, well, guys, if you just played the game the way that you're supposed to play it, then we would all be getting money and we wouldn't even have this discussion and we'd all have more time on our hands and we wouldn't even have to talk about it, right? So be aware of what the requirements are. Get them in on time. Make sure that your subcontractors are get it in on time. Make sure that everything is signed and notarized, that they have lien waivers. Make sure that they understand. If you're a subcontractor, make sure that you understand the contractual obligation when you sign up for the job. Here's a little, here's a little tidbit for you as a subcontractor. Usually there's something in your contract that ties your contract to be superseded by the GC's contract with the owner. If that is the case, you are entitled to review the GC's contract with the owner. I have written hundreds of subcontracts. I have only had one contractor ask me for my contract with the owner to review. Okay. You should be reviewing that. All right. And you should be well aware of what you're signing up for. It's only going to help you and it's only going to make you um, get paid faster. Okay. Now, what else do I mean by cash flow? We're not just talking about invoices. I think if I pulled America and all the contractors in America and I said, hey, what's the one thing that holds up a job? They would say change orders, right? So to those people, I would say the same thing. I spend probably 80% of my time chasing people for backup, for justification, for information that needs to be spoon fed to clients to make a decision, right? So I have another episode where I talk about RFIs and submittals and do yourself a favor influence an expedited answer, a quick, clear, and concise answer or approval by spoon feeding information. You submit a change order. Did you take a picture in the field? Did you circle it on a drawing and pull that PDF into your change order? Did you take a submittal or a, a product alternate and take that submittal and put it into the change order so that when they sign the change order, they approve the submittal at the same time? Aha. Did you think about that one? Did you communicate all of the lead times and the impacts on the schedule and give them a repercussion for not signing the change order? Did you kind of like lightly twist their arm to get the approval, right? When you do all of these things, when you are aware of the requirement and you give them the labor breakout, how much labor is it going to take to do this change order? How much is the material going to cost? Here's my 10% markup for my overhead, my office people. Here's my 5% markup for my fee. Usually it's a 10 and five, right? When you lay all that out, you throw a picture in there, you throw a drawing in there that's circled with a nice explanation for it. 
and you give them deadlines and repercussions for making that decision, they have no reason but to approve that change order for you. You can get the change order approved, you can move on in the field, and you can get it on your next invoice, and you can get paid for it, and you can get your cash flow. That is the best way to do it, and people simply don't do it. I, I got to tell you, as a GC, we waste so much time talking about this. It is absolutely ridiculous, and it doesn't have to be that way. So cash flow. Get your cash flow, get your paperwork in order. Number three, number three reason that we as contractors and subcontractors overshoot our schedules and have a tough time meeting those durations. How about creating the schedule itself, right? Now, when I talk about what a general contractor knows, and I know that there's a bunch of subcontractors out there that'll laugh and they say they don't know crap and they stand there with a clipboard. I have friends that make fun of me all the time for you know holding a clipboard. I don't actually know what I'm talking about, right? So general contractors know a little bit about a lot, a little bit about a lot. A subcontractor knows a, a lot about a little bit. So a little bit of the job, they know a lot, right? They have a tremendous amount of depth that I would never have as a GC. I'm never going to know as much as an electrician or a, or a millwork guy or even a door guy or a flooring guy. And I don't want to know. I want to know what I need to know to run the job, right? So one of the biggest mistakes that I can see, I was working at a company where they were overshooting all of the durations for structural work by, I think it was a third or a factor of three, whatever it was, it doesn't matter, right? If you don't know the trade well enough to put something on a schedule, you have to get subcontractor input. Go to the experts, be cognizant that they're going to try to buy themselves more time, but go to the experts and get their input on how long something will actually take. Can't tell you how many times I've looked at a project and I looked at lighting and I'm like, okay, two weeks for lighting. And then the guy, the guy's like, well, I don't know who put that on the schedule. I got 500 light fixtures here. It's going to take me at least three, four weeks. All right. So go get the subcontractors input. You don't have to know everything. Not everybody expects you to, but you will own it. If you put it down on a piece of paper, sell it to the client, get that paperwork signed, and then go try and sell it to the subcontractor. Okay. Now, the other thing with schedules would be reason number four that we can't make schedules. And that would be weather or certain times of year. Did you incorporate that into your schedule? First one being holidays. Christmas is the same day every year. Thanksgiving is almost the same time every year. Fourth of July is the same time every year. So did you actually put those dates where there's going to be no productivity on the schedule? Even more importantly, did you incorporate those dates in your procurement? Right. So a lot of manufacturing facilities shut down for the two weeks around Christmas or the two weeks around the 4th of July. Right. So when you shut down for two weeks, did your 10 week lead time for a welded door frame just turn into 12 weeks? Because if it did, you have to incorporate that on the schedule. Right. So you need to make sure that you're incorporating things like that. We know it's going to snow every year up north. We know it's going to rain in Florida. Okay. So why do we care about that? When does rain stop construction? Well, in Florida, it rains every day in Southwest Florida. It rains every day from May 15th to probably October 15th from two in the afternoon till six at night. Sometimes it starts at 11 in the morning. So I know that I'm going to have a tough time digging trenches, maintaining those, pouring concrete, getting, you know, getting all of that stuff in place so that I can move my project along. And those are showstoppers. If I can't keep building structure because of rain, then I'm not going to be able to meet my schedule but I know the rain's coming, 
right? I know it's going to rain a certain amount. Actually, that's why I think a lot of projects in Florida are doing so well and scheduled this year because it's, we're kind of in a drought compared to previous years here. But this information, now, if you throw that on a schedule, somebody might look at it and say, two weeks for rain, like, come on. You can back this up. This data is there, okay? So when you look at rain, you can find rainfall, snowfall, averages, and every single town in the country and you can actually back that up with data onto your schedule telling your client, hey, I can anticipate based on the averages that I'm going to lose two weeks of productivity here. And you can have a line item that says two week delay for rain. You can color code them a nice pretty blue that says, hey, all of these are in, in rainy season and all of these tasks can be affected uh, by the rain. The schedule is at risk right here so that they're not surprised but they know that they're covered on the risk for when they turn around and give that schedule to somebody to manage that expectation, right? So that's another one. Um, how about in Boston? You got the Boston Marathon. A lot of things around that, especially since what happened 10 years ago with the bombing. In Chicago, you got St. Paddy's Day. In Montreal, they have that shutdown that I just spoke about, but it's not just in manufacturing. The city shuts down construction for two weeks in the summer and two weeks in the winter. Okay, so you have to make sure that you incorporate that into your schedule. Reason number five, and this is the whole key to construction. I, I can't, I shake my head because I preach this every day and just um, so many people miss it. There's another episode about the opportunity in submittals. I need to do another episode on how to effectively do submittals and procurement, but think of it this way. Think of your submittals as setting up your dominoes. If you don't have your dominoes set up, you can't hit them and have them all fall down in the coordinates and know exactly how long that's going to be and exactly how long that's going to take, right? So what am I getting at? How do you avoid having issues with submittals and procurement on your schedule? Number one, you need to always have a submittal section on your schedule with every single item on the job, uh, a submittal line, how long it's going to take me to get the submittal, how long it's going to take to get approved, how long from order is it going to take to get to the site, and then that line needs to be tied to the actual physical activity of install on the schedule. 99% of people don't do that. And it drives me bananas, right? So when they have something like, you know, light pictures or door frames, those are always the ones that seem to get screwed up on jobs. They're standing there waiting for them in the field and nobody has a good explanation as to why. Okay. So when you talk about things like door frames and, and lighting, and I should probably do an episode just on those submittals alone, you need to understand your door frames. You don't need them after drywall. If they're welded, you need them before you can even start framing. So if you have a project that it takes 12 weeks to get a welded door frame, you can't start that project. If you have two weeks of demo, if you're on an interior renovation and you have two weeks of demolition, and then right after that, you're going to start doing layout and putting up HVAC and framing walls. You need that door frame on site in the third week of, of your project. Shouldn't even start the job unless you have it, okay? Shouldn't even start the job unless you have it. When it comes to lighting, what do people screw up about lighting? They screw up a lot of things, how it fits in the ceiling, the finish. Uh, but the biggest thing is lighting controls and emergency uh, equipment like inverters, things like that. It's one thing to get the light fixtures. If you can't turn them on and you can't control them the way that the client wants and you can't um, display to the fire department that they turn on the way they're supposed to in an emergency situation, then you're never gonna meet your schedule. I can't tell you how many projects I've done where we have all the light fixtures, but we don't have lighting controls. Okay, so that's another one that you have to watch out for. But you have to be vigilant about lead times. 
I could rattle off. And this is why I want to put a submittal log on my, on the website, because just doing so many schedules and doing this for so long, I know standard lead times that, that I can, um, make temporary assumptions on to build my schedule. But then I always go back to the subcontractor and I always make sure as early as possible that I am fully aware of all of my lead times and I'm reflecting that on the schedule and I'm warning the client and the design team about the deadlines that we have to release those things. Always comes up. Reason number six, reason number six, why construction projects run over their schedule duration 75% of the time is RFIs, requests for information. Did another episode on RFIs, the proper way to submit. I'm not gonna get into the details of that. Go back and, and look at that episode. It's one of the first ones. I wanna say it's episode five or six-ish, okay? Go back and look at that episode. But what I do wanna highlight is the impact of communication um, and request for information on a job, okay? RFIs, according to Autodesk and FMI, FMI is great, done a bunch of their training, 35% uh, of construction professionals time spent, which is over 14 hours per week, is on non-productive activities, including looking for project information, conflict resolution, and dealing with mistakes in rework. Okay, so that means that a third of somebody's time, they're dealing with questions and vetting mistakes and really just the bouncing ball of communicating these things. We have to get better at that. So make sure you're spoon feeding. It's the same thing with submitting those invoices, right? It just screams inefficiency. Okay. Um, it's episode eight, by the way. Episode eight, RFIs, go listen to it. Uh, 39, 30.9%, so 31% of construction professionals say that the top reason for miscommunication is unresponsiveness to questions and requests. And that's from Autodesk and FMI. Now, 31% of the time, people feel like they're not getting responsiveness to their questions. Ask better questions. Again, pictures, drawings, spoon feet influence a quick answer, right? So we need to get better at communicating. And 75% of people, this is another statistic say that we need um, rapid decision-making in the field. Okay, so RFIs, it's important. Um, probably might even be one of the most important ones on, on this list. Um, being number six has no bearing on that. Now, number seven, the number seven reason why projects do not meet the schedule 75% of the time. I call this the faceless fish curve, right? So what do I mean by that? Picture a goldfish, bite the face off, and you have a curve that starts, oh, I'm gonna flip it around for, for the camera, but if you have the faceless fish curve, so you have a goldfish that you bite the face off, right? You have the top of the fish that starts here and goes down here, right? And then you have the bottom of the fish that starts here and goes up here. Well, this curve, this spot, this uh, access on the graph, that is depth in construction. The more time, the more effort, the more money you put at the beginning of a job in planning, the shorter the duration of the project, the less it's going to cost. The less time you put at the bottom of that graph, the less time and depth and effort and money that you spend in pre-construction and planning, the more a project is going to cost over time and the longer duration that project is going to be. Right. So the faceless fish curve, right? That is a, I don't know, maybe I should trademark that. We'll see. Anyway, uh, let's wrap this up. So 75% of the time, we as construction industry professionals 
cannot meet or we overshoot our project duration, AKA 75% of the time we blow our schedule. My seven top, top seven reasons. So the top seven reasons that I have are permitting and inspections, cash flow, creating schedules, weather or the time of year that the project is taking, submittals on procurement, RFIs, communication, and the faceless fish curve. Write that down. All of those are within your control. 